Welcome to episode 136 of the TruthQuest podcast, the truth about politically induced mental illness. Before we get started, I want to ask you to do me a favor and share the show. If you're on social media and topics such as totalitarianism, the Paris Climate Accord, purges on social media, the 2020 presidential election, or secession comes up, please share the topic-specific TruthQuest episode with your debate partner. Episodes are available on a host of platforms including iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, BitChute, Brighteon, ThinkSpot, Rumble, and on Instagram where I post a short highlight of each show at instagram.com forward slash truthquestpodcast. Whatever platform you're listening to this on, please take a moment and give it a five-star rating or leave a positive review. Another way you can help grow the show is to throw a small donation my way at the TruthQuest podcast patronage page. All donations will be used to drive awareness of the podcast through online advertising. See this episode's show notes page at truthquest.podbean.com for details. And finally, please join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash truthquestpodcast. Back in 2010, conservative talk show host Michael Savage published a book entitled Liberalism is a Mental Disorder. Over the years, as I digested, dissected, and analyzed the political arena and evaluated the policy prescriptions of the left, I often remembered the title of his book and reflected that Savage might have been onto something. I gotta be honest with you, in order to buy into much of what the left advocates for, there has to be some level of mental illness. Nothing else explains the ability and willingness of left-wingers to make some of the arguments that they make. Sure, Sometimes you can explain it away by saying, oh, these are people are just pandering to their base, or that's just politics, get over it. But at the end of the day, these people have demonstrated for decades that they are not stable. They are not seekers of truth, and they don't give a damn about their constituents or the long-term success of the country as a whole. I'm going to throw a whole bunch at you in this episode to demonstrate politically induced mental illness. Some of the topics I'm going to go in a little extra detail, others I'm just going to throw out there for you to ponder and explore on your own. As you listen, I want you to continually ask yourself the question, if not mental illness, what else explains advocacy for such policies in the face of overwhelming evidence that the policy prescription is either ineffective, doomed to fail, harmful, dangerous, produces the opposite of the desired effect, is illegal or unconstitutional, or it's just outside the realm of reality. I think by the end of this episode, you will understand that this nation and many states and even local municipalities are being led by a bunch of people with real mental illnesses. Everything from psychotic leanings, psychopathic and sociopathic behaviors, pathological behavior like pathological lying, delusion. The political class is full of people with personality disorders like narcissism. Many are not in tune with reality, and they employ psychological techniques like deflection and enablement. To begin this discussion, I want to draw you back to this now iconic video of a woman with these thick-rimmed glasses and a toboggan, and she's standing outside screaming for what appears to be two or three minutes straight over the election of Trump. What would cause her to do that? What had she been told about Trump by the media and her so-called friends? It couldn't have been anything good, so she literally lost her mind in public. And you know what, even if it was a staged event, I can't help but continue to come back to it as a visual reminder of politically induced mental illness. 
Few topics demonstrate the point that I plan to make in this episode, like the abortion debate. All of the manipulative components are present, including delusion, denial of reality and truth, and psychopathic leanings. Now, I've produced several episodes on this topic, and I encourage you to check them out. It started back with episode 2, The Truth About Abortion. Episode 33 was The Truth About Abortion Part 2. Episodes 46 and 47 were deep dives into the Roe v. Wade opinion. And episode 86, I labeled The Truth About the Abortion Debate. The only issue in a rational conversation about abortion is the innocent human life in the woman's womb. The purposeful ending of a human life is murder. Murder is wrong. Therefore, abortion is wrong. But no, we must never discuss the baby when involved in an abortion debate. In episode 2, I taught you to ask the question, what about the baby? So instead of following the logic, abortionists employ language manipulation. They talk about choice and women's health and women's rights to make decisions about their body. And they tell men to shut up. They should never weigh in on the abortion debate because you are, well, not a woman. Oh, and their favorite refrain is, what about rape and incest? Well, I call bullshit on all that. The baby didn't do anything wrong. Why should it be sacrificed at the altar of liberal psychosis? Why should we allow them to deflect attention away from the baby? Even when conservative municipalities pass laws requiring the mother to have a waiting period before the abortion, we have waiting periods for gun purchases but not abortion. Or they require adoption counseling or require that doctors performing the procedure have admitting rights at the local hospital or they require the woman to view an ultrasound of their baby in the womb. These pro-abortionists oppose every single one of these efforts. That is cold and calculated murder. Even after Project Veritas exposed Prevent Parenthood's selling of baby parts, these murderous pro-abortionists were undeterred. Born Alive legislation, which requires babies who survive an abortion to receive the same level of care as newborns, is repeatedly rejected by various Democrat-controlled legislatures, including just last week in Washington, D.C. These people are obsessed with killing babies. That is not normal. So yes, blanket arguments for abortion do in many cases demonstrate the phenomenon we are talking about in this episode, politically induced mental illness. The only other explanation which I have personally witnessed is good-meaning people, often Christians, who have never heard the other side. No one ever posed the question to them, what about the baby? So this ends up being pure evil, and by definition, those who perform evil have a mental illness. Think about the sheer amount of pathological lying associated with our political class. Hands up, don't shoot. Trump is a Russian asset. Trump only paid $750 in taxes. If you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor. The Brent Kavanaugh hearings. Trump called military dead suckers and losers. The entire Russia collusion steel dossier Mueller investigation was known to be a dead end from the beginning. Yet night after night, month after month, year after year, we saw the likes of Adam Schiff, John Brennan, Chuck Schumer, Nancy Pelosi, and other prominent Democrats Talking heads and media merchants peddle their lies to the American people. What kind of people knowingly spread lies? Listen to the science. We've heard that over and over again. Except it is not a blanket statement. You should only listen to the science that they, 
the mentally ill political class tells you to listen to. For example, science demonstrates that there are only two genders. The politically induced, mentally ill political class disagree with this science. They advocate for puberty blockers for pre-teens. They claim there is nothing wrong with biological men, boys, to use women's locker rooms and bathrooms, as long as these guys claim to identify as a girl or a woman. They demand that biological men be allowed to compete with women in sports, as long as these guys claim to identify as a woman or a girl. Think about it. The first female vice president, Kamala Harris, can't even be celebrated as such because her party doesn't recognize gender. Hell, the House of Representatives' most recent rules package includes removing gendered terms like mother, father, son, and daughter. The new rules would also change seamen to seafarers, chairman to chair, and submit his or her resignation to resigns. References to fathers, mothers, sons, daughters, brothers, sisters, husbands, wives, and in-laws would be changed to parent, child, sibling, spouse, or parent-in-law. Extended family members would be referred to as, as child's parent, instead of aunt or uncle, step-parents, and siblings-in-law. According to the Democrat Rules for Gender Inclusion language, their plan, quote, modernizes the use of pronouns, family relationship terminology, and other references to gender in order to be inclusive to all members, delegates, resident commissioners, employees of the House, and their families, including those who are non-binary, end quote. Then we have a member of Congress, Representative Emanuel Cleaver, a Democrat from Missouri, an ordained United Methodist minister who delivered a prayer at the outset of the first session of Congress that concluded with a man and a woman. That's not a joke. So you want to tell me what other than mental illness might explain the ignoring of science by the same people who preach follow the science on a daily basis? What else might explain all of this swirl about gender fluidity? I'm open to suggestions. How about energy policy? Just last week, Biden signed an executive order prohibiting the use of a perfectly good functioning oil pipeline, the Keystone XL pipeline, which resulted in the immediate firing of 11,000 pipeline workers and will result in less safe transport of oil, which of course will make it more expensive for everyone. Senator Mike Rounds, a Republican from South Dakota, explained it this way, quote, Look, they're going to pump the oil, and it's going to go someplace. It's too valuable not to, and we still need the oil. So it's either going to be shipped to other countries, including China, which has not the same type of environmental regulations that we have when it comes to processing of that oil, or it could come back down into the United States to the specific locations where they actually know how to process it. This is the most efficient way to do it. It's still going to get moved. But now they're probably going to have to go to rail cars. And when you go to rail cars, it's not as safe. And so this is simply the most efficient way to move about 830,000 barrels of crude oil per day. That now will probably go either by rail or it'll go to another country, end quote. How about the fact that our mentally ill political leaders have stopped the nuclear power industry from building new reactors for decades? By the way, nuclear power is the cleanest Environmentally speaking, it's the cleanest way to generate electricity. And what about the constant push for electric vehicles because they are friendly to the environment? One problem, they require electricity. Where do you think all the electricity comes from? 
not from clean nuclear-generated methods, but other less clean methods because we are run by a bunch of politically-induced, mentally-challenged politicians. How about Biden's other energy-related executive order to end fracking on federal land? See, we were energy-independent largely because of our fracking. Not anymore. Oh, and that cost another ten to 20,000 jobs. Why would he do that? Does any of that sound sane to you? No, of course not. They are all decisions made by people with politically induced mental illness. Few topics expose the irrationality of the left better than the environmental movement. Climate change. Check out episode 7 for a deep dive into this lunacy. In a nutshell, this is a movement where the follow the science cries got its start. You know, anyone who doesn't agree with their policy prescriptions when it comes to global cooling, global warming, climate change, extreme weather, well, they're all science deniers. Yet they're the ones who deny science. They cherry-pick the studies they cite by ignoring those that do not further their agenda, which apparently is to destroy the U.S. economy. That is the goal and or the end result of every climate-related initiative coming out of the United Nations. That's the end result of the Green New Deal and the Paris Climate Accord which I just produced an episode on. Check out episode 133 for a deep dive into the Paris Climate Accord. Hell, even Biden's climate czar, failed presidential candidate John F. Kerry, who fought in Vietnam, in a moment of honesty, told the world, quote, we could go to zero emissions tomorrow and the problem isn't solved. Well, why is that? Because as Kerry explained, 90% of global emissions come outside U.S. borders. So the obvious question is, why are all of these lunatics pushing initiatives that crush the U.S. economy in the name of climate change when it won't make a damn bit of difference unless China and India are held to the same standard? That's not a rhetorical question. I would like someone who buys into this agenda to defend it. I won't hold my breath, but will celebrate anyone who steps forward and tries. How about forest management? none of which is apparently going on in California, a state run exclusively by Democrats. Instead, every summer when the state burns, the usual mentally challenged Democrats run to their microphone and blame climate change for the fires. Check out episode 71, The Truth About the California Wildfires, for a deep dive into that topic. The environmental movement is based on lies, misinformation, denial of reality, and ignores the consequences of their proposals. Clearly another case of politically induced mental illness. But would you like me to stop bashing Democrats for a minute? Let's discuss fiat currency. First of all, it's undoubtedly unconstitutional. The Constitution clearly stipulates that money is only to be gold and silver, not paper. But that's not good enough for our mentally challenged overlords. The gold standard manipulation started with FDR and concluded with Nixon. Since then, we've had two generations of federal leadership literally printing pieces of paper with the words Federal Reserve Note and This Note is Legal Tender for All Debts, Public and Private. Since Nixon took us off the so-called gold standard in 1971, the dollar has lost some 80% of its purchasing power. Since the Federal Reserve was established in 1933, it's lost 95% of its purchasing power. Since Alan Greenspan's manipulation of interest rates, all of the quantitative easing during Obama's two terms, and the outrageous spending during both Obama and Trump's terms, the money supply has ballooned from $5 trillion in 2001 to $19 trillion today. That means that there's $14 trillion more paper dollars, or digitally manufactured dollars, 
chasing the goods and services available in the market. Meaning, drumroll please, inflation. Everything you buy will cost more in the future. We are now governed by something known as Modern Monetary Theory, or MMT, which basically states that since we and other nations like the UK, Japan, Canada, and China print their own currency, we do not need to be bothered with tax revenue or selling bonds. Just print it, baby. And that is what we've been doing. You've got to have some kind of mental failings to continue to go along with these types of monetary policies. At the very least, a denial of reality and a refusal to look at the consequences of your actions. That is a direct indictment of the entire political class in D.C. Let's direct our attention to guns and law enforcement. Check out episode 18, The Truth About Gun Control, for a deep dive into that, that subject. Let's hit some of the highlights to demonstrate the political-induced mental illness demonstrated by our political leaders on this topic. Number one, it starts with the Second Amendment, which reads, A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to bear arms shall not be infringed. Seems pretty simple. Don't mess with our guns. But now that we live in a post-constitutional America, making the Second Amendment argument is a waste of time, as is explaining your natural right to self-defense. Here's an excerpt from my book, Critical Thinking, on this topic. I called it Sixth Grade Logic. Knowing that I was going to write a chapter on gun control, I was curious what my kids thought. I asked, what do you guys think about people having guns? All three of my kids had the same initial reaction, that there should be some restrictions. When I asked my son, a sixth grader at the time, why, he said, well, it would be dangerous if a bunch of people had guns. He then paused, and the most astonishing thing happened. Common sense descended on him, and without any prompting from me, he said, if all the good people were not allowed to have guns, then only the bad people would have them, and then the bad people could do whatever they wanted to the good people, who would be stuck waiting for the police to come help them. If a sixth grader can figure this out, what does that say about Democrats that push this shit? I contend that it can be explained by politically induced mental illness. How about gun-free zones? How much logic does it require to understand that gun-free zones are nothing more than target practice for armed cowards? You have to be mentally ill, stupid, or extremely naive to actually think it is a good idea to post a sign announcing that a building is a gun-free zone. Gun-free zones do not prevent shooters from executing innocent people. It only prevents innocent people from defending themselves. Why announce to a perpetrator that they are entering a soft target? I would rather send my kids to a school with a sign posted out front that says something like, Some of our staff are armed with loaded guns. They receive quarterly training on how to handle active shooter events. Enter armed at your own risk, but please be ready to die. Most recently, there is a new firearms registration law proposed in Congress. It's H.R. 127. It's about registration of all privately owned firearms and the creation of a database where registration information can be stored. The bill also calls for the registration of ammo. You would need to obtain a license to own a firearm, including a background check and a psychological evaluation and the passage of a training course. It would also require that gun license applicants pay $800 to the Attorney General to cover liability insurance for owning a firearm. Oh, and you must disclose the location of your guns in your house. And here's the best part. The database will be accessible by the general public. That, my friends, is a personification of a bill 
drafted by politically induced, mentally ill people. How about the defund the police movement? I mean, do I really even need to explain it other than to say fewer police means emboldened bad guys and more innocent victims? It's too obvious to even spend any time on, yet a large segment of the Democratic Party are advocates for the defunding of the police. And when asked to explain it, they tell you that, no, 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 we don't really want to reduce the funds. We just want to reallocate them, you know, to social workers. I don't know about you, but I don't want a social worker responding to a 911 call when my house is broken into. I don't need them showing up with their clipboard and their worthless college degree. In the case of the defund the police narrative, there is no other explanation why someone would advocate for it other than politically induced mental illness. How about minimum wage laws? Check out episode 4 for a deep dive into this topic. If you are artificially raising the cost of anything, including labor, you get less of it. Demand goes down. So in the case of raising the minimum wage, fewer people will be hired. And guess who gets hurt the most? the low and no-skill workers. I heard Biden just this past week say something like, all the economic studies you see demonstrate that raising the minimum wage is the right thing for working Americans. That's a flat-out lie, and for someone to advocate for it when there is plenty of real economic evidence to the contrary is the very definition of mental illness, denial of reality, and being a pathological liar. How about the government's reaction to the coronavirus? I mean, advocating for mandatory lockdowns and mandatory mask wearing, yet these same people spout nonsense like my body, my choice when it comes to the unborn. What else explains the ability to hold both positions? How about the terrible living conditions in large Democratic-run cities like Detroit, Oakland, Baltimore, Chicago, and St. Louis? What else explains this? The politicians who have cycled through these city halls for the last five to six decades, all Democrats, have no regard for their voters. I mean, in Chicago, there are regularly 10 to 20 shootings on a given weekend with six to a dozen murders. There is some form of abnormal psychological processes going on here. There's some kind of psychosis. Where is their empathy for their fellow man? You've heard stories about serial killers and how they are disconnected from reality. They don't see their victims as people. Well, neither do these generations of Democratic leaders. What else would explain allowing homeless to take over entire city blocks, not enforcing public decency and trespassing laws? When an app is created to notify visitors to San Francisco how to avoid human feces left by the homeless, you know you are dealing with a bunch of politically induced mentally ill city officials. How about violence? What else could explain elected city leaders allowing, even encouraging riots, looting, and arson in their city, calling them mostly peaceful protests, permitting the burning down of a police precinct, allowing rioters to get it out of their system, making excuses for the rioters and looters because the businesses, you know, they have insurance. How about allowing autonomous zones to exist in your city? Bailing out rioters like Kamala Harris did, along with a bunch of other celebrities. What else could explain saying Antifa is an idea? What else could explain announcing that you would not prosecute low-level crimes like the Los Angeles DA recently did, including assaulting a police officer? I'm open to any ideas. What about the language? All lives matter equals racism. Really? How do you arrive at that conclusion? 
Or, you can't be against racism. You must be anti-racist. Oh, really? I love this one. Silence is violence. Or my favorite. The definition of marriage no longer means one man and one woman. Hell, they refuse to even acknowledge that a man and a woman are true categories. I could go on and on, but I think you get my point. What else could explain such claims? How about the welfare state? Do you think the war on poverty has been successful? It's been almost 60 years and the poverty rate is almost at the same exact spot it was back then. Like fiat currency, this is another example of a politically induced mental illness reaching across both aisles of the political spectrum. The Uniparty is all in for the warfare and welfare state. Nothing is ever done about either one. Just throwing good money after bad. How about immigration, specifically the Democrats' penchant for open borders, or no borders? Question, how many other countries have open borders? Answer, zero. Why? Because they're not mentally ill. They do not deny the reality that says you do not have a country if you don't have borders. So why are the Democrats pushing open borders in America? You tell me. I mean, they certainly do not advocate for open borders in D.C. Look at how secure Capitol Hill is with that new 12-foot permanent fence around the Capitol. It was erected in like three weeks since Biden's inauguration. How about the new deportation moratorium that Biden has authorized by executive order? You can't even be deported if you commit a crime while you're in the States or if you are a criminal fleeing another country. Doesn't that seem a bit dangerous? Wouldn't you call into question the sanity of anyone who would advocate for such a policy, much less an entire political party? How about the fact that Biden's immigration policy removed Trump administration's requirement that asylum seekers stay in the first country they come to while their asylum application is reviewed? On top of that, Biden is also promising lots of goodies by way of benefits for the illegals. So, we have yet another caravan of migrants making their way to the states. The Democrats have no regard for human life. I mean, we already know that based on their abortion stance. But combine that with the danger that they are putting these immigrants in can only be described as some kind of psychosis. It's mass murder. Putting the immigrants' lives at danger, crossing the desert, the raping of the women and girls as they make the journey, the drownings in the Rio Grande River. These people are safer staying in their border country waiting for asylum applications to be evaluated. So not only do the Democrats have no regard for human life, they have no regard for the 10 million Americans still out of work who now get to compete with hundreds of thousands of new job seekers from Central America and beyond. So the question I posed at the outset is still hanging out there. What else can explain this behavior? What else can explain the endorsement of these policies? Well, you say, it's politics, man. That's just politics. Or perhaps a related reason might have entered your mind, that being pandering to their base. They're just pandering. There are often other reasons like power, control, greed, or purposeful breakdown of the American society. But for someone to endorse all of these policies, they literally must have some sort of mental illness, such as psychotic or sociopathic leanings, delusions, refusal to accept reality, pathological lying, and they must be cursed with all kinds of personality disorders. The longer I'm in this game, studying politics, politicians, and public policy, the more I have come to realize that the attainment of political power itself must cause some mental illness. It's like an infection, the flu, COVID-19. It's like an airborne virus. Think back to the topics we discussed. Abortion, gender, energy policy, the environment, guns, 
fiat currency, the handling of the coronavirus pandemic, the nature of the many long-time Democrat-run cities, violence, welfare, and immigration. Sure, you can make the pandering or the that's-just-politics argument, but in my mind, the most reasonable explanation for the advocacy of these policies or the lack of willingness to correct the current state is some form of undiagnosed mental illness. If not that, then it's pure, unadulterated evil. Which is worse? And that's the truth about politically induced mental illness. Please join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash truthquestpodcast.